Thanks for tuning in to Dream City Omaha, where we're all about helping each other discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. We hope this message impacts your life, and be sure to like and subscribe for more. Hey, uh, th this morning, a couple things that I want to, uh, to put in front of you before we get into the Word. I'm excited about the message today. Um, I I'm excited not to, not to communicate it to you. Um, but really what I'm excited about is, is you taking it and putting it into practice. I believe every week, every week that God speaks to us through his word is, is potentially life-changing. Like, I think there's this attitude and this mindset when we come to church. It's like, well, I'll get a nugget here, I'll get a nugget there, and maybe I'll do something, maybe I won't. What you have to understand is that every week that we gather together and we examine God's word and God speaks to us through his word... And not just here. Every day when you get into God's word at home for yourself is potentially life-changing if you would just simply take it and put it into practice. And so, so today I'm excited about the word and we're going to get into it in just a, a moment. A couple of things before we do, though. Last week we received a special pastor's appreciation offering. Uh, for those of you, maybe you weren't here last week or you didn't have an opportunity to give in that, would encourage you today, every, every year in October is a pastor's appreciation month and we receive a special offering just to, to bless and to, to be a blessing to the pastors on staff here at Dream City. And so if you want to give into that, you can use the envelopes, just write pastor's appreciation. You can give online, just choose the, the other option on the drop down menu. Uh, here in person and online would encourage you if you can be a part of that. And then also this week, we uh, are starting our discipleship classes. We have uh, John and Pam Shores who are, are teaching a class on parenting. How many of you are in a parenting season right now? Okay, how many of you have teenagers that you are currently trying not to kill right now? I'm just kidding, trying to parent right now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, parenting parenting is, is fun. Parenting is rewarding. Parenting is hard and parenting is challenging. And sometimes as parents, like we just need to get together and be like, it's okay. Like, let me encourage you. You encourage me. Let's learn from one another. What works for you doesn't work for me, but let's, let's, like, let's examine God's word and, and find out how do we steward well the gift that God has given us in our children. And so we're, we're doing a, a class on parenting and then uh, Bill Jordan is teaching a class on, on Peter, a character study on Peter. And Peter's one of the, the characters that I probably relate to the most because he was the biggest trash talker in the Bible. Like he was the one who pulled out the sword and cut off the ear. Like that was Peter. Peter, Peter got down. Peter was about that life. And, uh, and so I would encourage you, uh, come on out Wednesday night, seven o'clock here. We've got stuff for the, the kids, stuff for uh, junior high and high school, um, and then discipleship classes as well. Last thing, and then we're going to get into it. Happy birthday to Pastor Kevin. Pastor Kevin is sitting back there, our youth pastor. Kevin, wave your hand so everybody can say happy birthday. There he is. Melissa Vandervelde. I don't know if Melissa's in here or not. Pastor Andre's wife, Melissa, uh, it's her birthday today as well. So if you see them, if you see them outside, just make sure you wish them a happy birthday this morning. All right, we're going to get into to God's Word. And uh, today we're concluding our series. We've we, we've been in this series talking about refreshing and, and what it means to be refreshed. To refresh, again, means to provide with a, a new vigor or new energy. And so we've, we've talked about this idea that over the last 18 months, it's been very difficult for all of us, regardless of 
of our walk of life, regardless of our socioeconomic standing, regardless of our political views, regardless of, of any of those secondary identifiers, it's been, it's been a long go. We've had a long go of it. And, and just when we think that we're, we're on the other side, something else happens. And so we've been in this cycle. And, and as I've talked to people, as I've I've spent time with people. What I've, what I've found is that there's a lot of us that are just tired and we're worn down and, and there's like this dryness spiritually about us and there's this dryness in our souls because we find ourselves longing and looking for relief in the world and worldly things and we, we find ourselves looking for relief from our circumstances and no relief has seemed to come, and so how do we live this life of refreshing? And so we, we've talked the last three weeks, two weeks, this is the third week, about how to be refreshed. And, and week number one, the, the big idea that week was that, that God brings refreshing, and God, God wants to refresh you, but first we must position ourselves in a way to be refreshed. How that we are carrying these things around, and we need to, to remove the excess and unnecessary weight that you weren't called or created to carry in order to allow God to bring the refreshing. Last week, the big idea was, was that as we position ourselves to be refreshed, we have to understand that only God can truly refresh us. We talked about five ways to be refreshed. If you wrote those down or if you remember those, if you weren't here, they were through his word, they were through worship, they were through prayer, through community with one another, and then through daily meditation. And if we would take those five things and, and create daily habits around those things and incorporate those into, into our schedule, that we would, we would be able to find that refreshing as we draw near to him. James 4 says to draw near unto God and he will draw near unto you. And so we've, we've talked about the position of refreshing. We've talked about the, the place of refreshing. And today, as we, as we get into God's word, I'm going to give you the big idea up front. I'm going to tell you what we're going to talk about, and then we're going to talk about it. And then after we talk about it, you all are going to go and do it. Thank you, angel, for the amen. The rest of you are like, I don't know, I got to read the fine print before I sign my name anywhere. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing yet. I can't commit to this right now, but here's the, here's the big idea today as we, as we get into it. We have to learn to go ahead and put that slide up. We have to learn to live in a way today that will allow us to thrive tomorrow. That is, that is the, the umbrella, that's the big idea of where we are going today. Again, Matthew chapter 11 has been our our foundation for this series. It's where we've started every week and Jesus is talking and here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens. Again, there we see the, the position of refreshing that we have to remove some of those weights. He says, I will give you rest, the place of refreshing, only, only he can provide the true rest that we need in our souls. Verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you. Let me, let me teach you. Now, that yoke is not an egg yolk. Okay, so for those of you that are hungry, you hear yolk, you think egg, like I forgot to eat breakfast today. That's not what he's talking about. We don't live in a, in a, in a society that understands or, or really uses yolks anymore. The, the yolk was, 
was the wooden cross member that they would use to, to connect some oxen to a cart or to a plow. And, and through the yoke, then these animals would pull the plow or pull the cart. So he's, he's not saying, take my egg upon you. He's saying, take, take the weight that the weight that I give is different than the weight that the world gives. What you're carrying for me is different than what you are going to carry for yourself or carry for your neighbor. Take my yoke upon you. He says, he says, let me teach you because I am humble and I am gentle at heart. And here's the promise. You will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden that I give you is light. Again, we, we see all three weeks in this. We see the position. We see the place of refreshing. And, and today, as we get into God's word, I want to talk to you about how to find a new rhythm in life how to live life with a rhythm of refreshing rather than having to come to God in emergencies like I'm bone dry, I'm empty, I don't know what to do, I don't know how I got here. God, you need to do something today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you have, have instructed us and it's because you care for us that you tell us to, to cast our cares upon you. Those of us that are carrying heavy burdens, those of us that are, are weary and worn down, God, today I'm thankful that we can, we can come to you and remove that weight. God, today as we, as we seek your face, I'm thankful that, that you bring the refreshing that our souls are longing for, the refreshing that we need and the refreshing that only can, can be found in you. We pray that you would pour that out on your people today. And God, as we seek to, to find a new rhythm in life, I pray that you would you would challenge us, that you would encourage us, that you would change us and transform us today by the power, not of my word, but by the power of your word. We love you. We thank you. We, we set this time aside for you. And God, we give you permission to do what, whatever you want to do in our hearts and in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we, as we talk about rhythm, it's hard for me to, to talk about rhythm and not immediately think of my wife. And, and in a way that, you know, we, we understand there are people who have rhythm. <laughs> and then there are people who don't have rhythm. There are people who are, are blessed with the ability to, like, any song comes on, any beat, no matter how many beats per minute it is, fast, slow, whatever, like, they're just, they're on beat. They can move to the beat. They don't even have to think about the beat. It just connects with their soul, and they get it. And then there are people who, like, come into church, and I know you're here because I hear you clapping. <laughs> and the worship team is leading, and it's like, I don't know. I don't know when to clap, and some of you during worship are like, Ricky Bobby, like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, I don't know. Should I... And if, if, if the worship team, like, looks at you, like, just stop clapping. That's why we don't have tambourines anymore, right? Like, it used to be that the one person that had rhythm in the church would bring the tambourine in, and they'd be getting after it, like, yes, like, this is what I'm talking about. And then everybody thought that they had rhythm, so then there was, like, six tambourines all on a different, different beat, and it was like, we just got to shut this down. Like, this is... This, is, this isn't working. I know the Bible says to make a joyful noise unto the Lord, but this isn't joyful to me, so like I don't, it's hindering my ability to make noise. 
we have, we have those that, that get rhythm, those that don't. I love my son Carter because like he, he, like he has it, but he doesn't. Like he knows, he knows how to move his body, but he doesn't care what song's playing. He's just going to move his body, right? Like there's this video on my phone and we were at Pepper Jacks and I love Carter and I love this about him. We were at Pepper Jacks several years ago and he got up and like no song, there was, there was no, he just got up and started dancing. And in this video, and I even made mention in this video, I said, he looks like when Forrest Gump is trying to teach Elvis Presley how to dance in the upstairs room because he's got his hands up and he's just going like this. Look like, look like Forrest Gump. There are people who, who have rhythm and there are people who don't. If you're the one that doesn't have rhythm, would you just be unashamed and just say, Pastor, that's me. Just, I recognize that in myself. All the white people. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking, but act like it's not true. <laughs> There's, there are some that have rhythm. Pastor Sarai really got a kick out of that one. Some that have rhythm, some that don't. We understand it in that sense, right? But, but we have to understand that there are there are also rhythms to life. There are, there are seasons that we go through and there are, are things that we can pick up along the way that can create healthy rhythm, unhealthy rhythm. And, and today, as we get into God's word, I want to, I want to do my best to try and, and give you some, some tools, some, some real practical things from God's word that as we, as we go from this place, God, help us to establish a a rhythm of refreshing, because refreshing doesn't have to just be in emergency situations only. Refreshing is meant to be a rhythm of life that we go through where we're refreshed and we pour out and we're refreshed and we pour out and we're refreshed and we serve the community and we're refreshed and we love our neighbors and we're refreshed. We can't do those things unless we're refreshed. And the reason we, we're not doing those things now is because we're empty ourselves. And when we're empty ourselves, we have nothing then to give others. God, give me, give me enough in my cup that, that out of my refreshing and out of what you pour into me would then just, just naturally overflow on people around me. That's the rhythm that we are called to live in. That's the John 10, 10 rhythm. That's the life more abundant. It's not full of stuff, but it's full of him. And as we're full of him, we're, we're constantly giving it out to those around us. I want to, to look at the life of of Jesus today and, and really ask, what are, what are some things that we need to learn to do in order to live a life of refreshing? And the first one is this. If you're taking notes today, write this down. If you're not taking notes, I would encourage you to take notes and write this down. Number one, what must I do to live a, a life, a, a rhythm of refreshing? We have to learn to live life inside out. Live life inside out. Now, what do you mean by that? What I mean is that so many of us live life outside in. We're the reverse. And what that means is we allow the external circumstances and the external influences and, and all of those secondary things to affect what's going on in here rather than what God is doing in here to affect how we then approach those circumstances and situations. We, we allow the title on our business card to determine our value rather than understanding that it's about my identity in Christ and it's not what's printed on my business card, but it's about the, the destiny that he imprinted on me and the, 
the DNA he imprinted on me as a child of the king, that my identity in him, if I live life inside out, determines then how I respond to external stimuli. So many of us are the reverse of that. We, we allow our material possessions to determine that we are important in our level of importance rather than looking at the price that Jesus paid to ransom us and determining our value at that point because your value is, is simply what somebody is willing to pay for. The value of something is not determined by a sticker, but it's determined by what somebody is willing to pay. And Jesus paid for you with his life. How then can we say that we are worthless and unlovable and not good for anything and I'm less than and I'm not as good as and I'm not as beautiful and I'm not as smart and I'm not as this as somebody else? Stop looking to the external to determine the internal, but start to, to live life from the inside out. Everything that we do should be from inside out. And, and Paul tells us this in, in Acts 17. Paul is, is preaching, and here's what Paul says in Acts 17. He says, in him, we live and move and have our very being. It's not based on what's going on around us that I live. It's not based on, on what my boss tells me in the performance review I got last week that tells me I'm good enough. It's not the opinions of others that, that impact how I view myself, but it's what God says about me. And he says that I'm his masterpiece. And it's the identity that he's placed inside of me. And when we allow ourselves to live inside out, it radically changes everything. It makes everything different. Everything must be found in him and through him and by him and from him. And if Jesus, who walked this earth fully God and fully man, understood the need to live life inside out, who are we to think that we can do it any different? Think about that. Your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the, the, the incarnate God, who stepped out of eternity and took on hum human form, the form of a servant, being fully God and fully man, knew that in order for him to do what he needed to do, he had to live life inside out. How arrogant and foolish of us today to say, you know what, Jesus, that might have worked for you, but I'm going to do it a different way. Instead, I'm going to try and live life outside in. Like Jesus did it. How, how, much more, how much more you not being God do you need to find your being in him? As we, as we read the Gospels, it's interesting to me that, that as you read the Gospels, the four Gospels in the New Testament, there are, there are four accounts of Jesus's life and Jesus's ministry, each conveying a, a different perspective to, to four different audiences. Matthew's gospel was written to a Jewish audience. Mark's gospel was written to a Roman audience. Luke's gospel was written to a Greek audience. John's gospel was written to an audience of Christians who, who had already believed, but now there's these other teachings going on, so he has to get back to, to the basics. Like, this is who Jesus is. And as we read these four accounts of Jesus' life, each one of the writers gives us a different 
insight into who Jesus was and a different aspect of his character. For instance, Matthew, Matthew tells us that Jesus was king and Matthew communicates and talks about Jesus as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the Messiah who has come. Why? Because I'm write, writing, writing to, to a Jewish audience who needs to know that he's the king they've been waiting for. In Matthew's genealogy, he goes all the way back to Abram, but he's very specific in letting us know that he's come from, from the line of David all the way through Joseph and now Jesus. And if anybody had a right to, the, to be the heir of the throne in Israel, it was Jesus. He is the king that you have been waiting for. He is the, the coming king. In Matthew, we're given the account of the three wise men who came to worship who? The newborn king. Matthew communicates about Jesus as king. Mark gives us a picture of Jesus as the servant. Mark 10, the, the son of man came not to be served, but what? To serve. He's, he's, he's always serving others. We're, we're shown that aspect of Jesus's character in Mark. In Luke, we're shown Jesus's humanity. More of Jesus's childhood is given to us in that gospel than anywhere else in scripture. It, it takes very careful efforts to to let us know the, the, the promise of Jesus in the birth of Jesus, in the childhood of Jesus, before Jesus then enters his earthly ministry. John communicates Jesus as, as fully, fully God, the, the deity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus. Matthew's genealogy was, look at he came from David. Luke's genealogy was, look, he came from Adam to Mary and Joseph, born of a woman taking on human flesh. John's genealogy of Jesus was in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made and nothing that has been made was made without him and in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome. That's the genealogy that John gives for Jesus. Like it's not about his humanity, it's about his divinity. And so John communicates that. It's interesting. Why do you say all of that, Pastor John? I say all of that to say that in the Gospel of Luke, which is the Gospel that, that shows us the picture into Jesus's humanity, we are given more accounts of Jesus getting away and praying than in any of the other Gospels. Jesus being fully men needed to remove himself and get away and spend time with the Father. Why? Because he understood the importance of living life inside out. He understood that the manifestation of his ministry was only in direct response to his relationship with the father. I've only, the, the son only does what he sees the father doing. The son only says what the father tells him to say. If I'm not good here, there's nothing that I can do here. How many of us are trying to live externally without first taking care of the internal? We have to get to a place of living life inside out. Luke chapter 5 gives us a picture of this. Despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster. And vast crowds came to hear him preach and be healed of their diseases. But what does Jesus do? He withdraws to the wilderness for prayer. Jesus is preaching. Jesus is teaching. People are being healed. People are being set free, the demons are being cast out of people. There is revival happening in this community. There is serious revival taking place and Jesus cancels it all and says, I got to get away. 
rather than giving an altar call in that moment, rather than like, hey, we're going to capitalize on this. If this had happened in 1990, they would have like put a tent up in the parking lot and there would have been meetings for the next three months because God was doing some real cool things. But Jesus is like, you know what? Like, I hear you and this is awesome, but I need to get away and I need to pray. I need to get alone. Why? Because Jesus understood and Jesus knew that he needed to live life inside out. Not only did Jesus live life inside out, but the second thing that Jesus did is he balanced work and rest. Today, you need to understand and you need to learn to balance work and rest. There is time for work. Some of you need to just hear that. I think sometimes when we think about the the work-rest balance, we get into our mind that it's an overload of work and not a lot of rest. And yes, there is that. But for some of us, it's an overload of rest and not enough work. Some of you need to get off your mom's couch and get a job. Just saying, because I tried to go to Burger King last week and they were closed because they didn't have anybody work to register. So go get a job. But we need, to, we need to learn to balance work and rest. And the problem is, back in the day, we, we used to be able to, we used to be able to go to the office and leave the office and then go home. But what happens now? We go to the office and then the office comes home with us. And we're sitting at dinner with the family and we're responding to emails. And our kids are asking us questions and we're finishing a project, and all the, the time and the, the emotional and the mental capacity that we have is being given to, to work because it follows me every stinking where that I go. And I know I'm not the only one because I see all of you like nodding your heads. And fellas, if you're not nodding your head, know that your wife next to you is nodding her head. Like, yes, absolutely, that's what's happening, that's what's going on, because there is, no, there is no understanding and there is no differentiation between this is work and now I have to get away and I have to rest. In Mark chapter 6, we're given the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. He, he feeds them, and then here's what happens immediately after this. Immediately after what? Immediately after Jesus performs this miracle, he, he takes... A kid's lunchbox, he feeds 5,000 men, not including women and children, probably more like 20,000 would be a safe estimate of people with a couple fish and a couple pieces of bread. He feeds them, and the Bible says that immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat, head across the lake, while he sent the people home. And after telling everyone (laughs) goodbye, it's been real, it's been fun. I, 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 if I could, I would stay here and talk to you all day, but I can't. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, you ain't got to go home, but you can't stay here. He said, goodbye. After this, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Again, we see Jesus living inside out, but we see him clearly separating and clearly differentiating between this is work that has to be done But in order for me to even to to be able to continue in the work that I've been given by my father, I must get away and rest. I have to rest. 
The reason why so many people are feeling burned out right now is because we don't understand rest. We don't know what that is, but it's been given to us by God. Well, how did God give it to us? With the fourth commandment. Exodus chapter 20 gives us the the Ten Commandments. And here's the fourth one. Fourth one is this. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. We see it not just in the Ten Commandments, but we see it in the story of creation. The first six days, what does God do? He speaks and there is. He creates. He breathes life. All that was made was made. And on the seventh day, the Bible tells us, what did God do? He what? He rested. He worked for six days and then he rested. If God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, took a day to rest, Who are you to think that you don't need the same? Who are you to think that you could just burn the the candle at both ends and one day it's not going to run out? Jesus rested. The Father rested. And now he instructs his people like, yes, six days you'll have to work. But on that seventh day, you need to rest. You need to, to set that day apart from me. Now, On the seventh day, understand that God did not sit down on his lazy boy and pick up the remote and watch Netflix all day long, okay? Rest is not laziness. Rest is not slothfulness. Rest is is not neglecting responsibilities. What is this day of rest? What does this day of rest look like? This day of rest looks like the, the ordinary work that, that I do throughout the week, this is a day where I don't think about that, I don't do that, I don't put my hand to that, but I'm resting from that so that I can rest in. It's not just resting from, because, because a lot of us, we can rest from, but we don't feel refreshed. That's why we take vacations and we come back more tired because we're resting from, but the resting in God, we don't do. The Sabbath day is is a day to rest from work, rest in God, and allow him to bring the rest to me in that that time. It's a, it's, listen, it's a command. How many of you think it's important not to kill people? No, just, just quick pull. I just want to see, trying to get my finger on the pulse of my church. How many think it's important not to kill people? Okay. How many think it's important not to commit adultery? Okay. How many think it's important not to put any, any gods, any idols above God? Okay, we're, we're all on the same page so far. How many think it's important not to lie, not to steal, not to cheat, not to be envious, to, to honor your father? Okay, so, so we agree that nine out of the 10 commandments, it's important that we are careful to obey and observe them. Then why do we let this one just kind of slip through the cracks? This, <laughs> this is on the same level in God's book as don't murder somebody. This is on the same level as don't cheat on your spouse. God gave it to them as a a time to rest, to reflect, and to be refreshed in him and by him. And if we are going to find this balance, we have to understand that and know that it's not just just about being religious about it. because, Because in the New Testament, the Pharisees were very religious about it. They had put all these requirements in and you can't do this and you can't do that. And oh, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Oh my gosh, look at what's happening. 
One day they were walking through a field and, and some of his disciples, the grain was growing. Some of his disciples picked some grain off of, off of this field and, and the Pharisees are like, oh my gosh, Jesus, they just broke the law. What are you, what are you going to, to do to them? What are you going to say to them? Mark chapter two gives us that story. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, look, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. What was he saying? He was saying that God didn't create people to subjugate them to the Sabbath, but God, because he loved people, created the Sabbath so that they could find rest in him in that day, so that they could reflect on him during that time. It's a time that is set apart for him. It's a gift to you that many of us don't open. We don't think about it. We don't take it seriously. We don't honor that. What do I do on my Sabbath? I do a lot of things. My Sabbath is not just sitting at home. I will go, I will go, I will go fishing on my Sabbath. I will go hunting on my Sabbath. I'll go, I'll go to a movie by myself on my Sabbath. Come on, all my introverts said, thank you, Jesus. Right? Like, there's a lot of things that I do on my Sabbath, but what, I, what, what I'm very careful about in my Sabbath is no matter what I'm doing, I'm aware and I'm conscious and I'm thankful of, of God's presence in that moment. No matter what I do, it goes back to this. God, thank you. I'm grateful of all, like, God, thank you for the sunrise, and thank you for the birds, and thank you for the trees, and thank you for this, and thank you for that. And God, I'm just aware. God, help me to be so aware of you today. There's so much that has happened during the course of the week that has just, just left me drained, and, and I've been giving so much. God, let me just be aware of you today that in your presence, I might be made new, and in your presence, as I wait upon you, that you would renew my strength. And God, as I, as I direct my attention and focus, not that I'm I'm not doing other things, but even in these other things, let me be so focused on you and in tune with you, living life inside out, that in this time, God, would you bring the refreshing that I need? That's Sabbath. That's what it, that's what it looks like. We need to get back to, to doing that. John Maxwell has this quote, and, and, and he has said it, and my dad is something that my dad always like he hammered into me and he, he continued to teach me, continued, even to this day, he's like, hey, are you doing this? And here's, here's what, what John Maxwell says about this. He says that, that every one of us, we need to divert daily, we need to withdraw weekly, and we need to abandon annually. What does that mean? It means every day, I need, I need a time during my day where I just, even, even mentally and emotionally, I just get away from it. Just focus on God. Just set my eyes and my attention on him. Divert daily, withdraw weekly to remove myself from that because I can divert and still be in the middle of it. You can divert at your desk for 10 minutes. You can divert daily on your lunch break. You can, you can divert on your way home or on your way to work, but weekly we need to withdraw. We need to remove ourselves. And then we need to abandon annually just to, to, to leave it. Annually, to get away for a period of time. This is, this is about seasons of refreshing and rhythms of refreshing. As we look at Jesus's life, he understood the need to live inside out. He understood the need to, to find that work and that rest balance. But the third thing that we need to understand if we're going to find this new rhythm in life is we need to learn to say no. You need to learn to say no. Everybody say it with me. Ready? One, two, three. Some of you were a little more emphatic than others. Some of you like you carried your no out and you made sure everybody heard you say no. 
When, when somebody asks you to do something, it's completely acceptable to say no. You can't be all things to all men at all times. You can't meet everybody's needs. You can't do every project. You can't say yes to, to everything. You need to learn to say no, and it's completely fine to do so. And if you hear somebody say no, respect that. Don't push. Don't badger. Don't annoy. Don't continue. Take no for no. Okay. Find somebody else to do it. But you have to understand, Jesus said no. Like there, there, there are times that Jesus, Jesus said no. Right? We, we see him. The Bible tells us that, that, go ahead and put that scripture up there. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. Again, Jesus is ministering and people are, are being saved. People are being set free. People are being healed. People are being, you know, all the, all the things. Jesus is doing ministry. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick. He cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he, he did not allow them to speak. Jesus is here. He's, he's doing ministry. It's incredible. Verse 35. Before daybreak break the next morning, Jesus got up. He went out to an isolated place to pray. What's Jesus doing? Again, he's living inside out. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. Where have you been? The stuff that you did last night, all the healings, phenomenal. Everyone in town has heard about you. They want to see you. Are you ready to come back and do some more? And Jesus essentially says, no. Jesus, what, what are you talking about? He says, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, we must go to the other towns as well. And I will preach to them too, because that is why I came. Now, imagine all these sick people in town have heard about the miracles that Jesus did. Now they show up trying to get, get some of that for themselves. Disciples can't find Jesus. They go out looking for him. They found him out praying alone, Jesus, you need to, we need you to come back. We need you to, that thing you did, that thing you did where you spit and you made the mud and you rubbed it in the eyes and somehow that like, I don't know what that spit was and I don't know how you did that, but we need you to do that again. There's these people that are waiting and Jesus says, no, no. We have to go to the other towns as well. There are people over there. There's people, no. Jesus, there's 5,000 people. They, they need you to feed them. Jesus says, no. You feed them. Jesus, tell my brother to, to split the inheritance evenly with me. No, because I'm not, I'm not an arbitrator of, of human worldly things. Jesus, tell my sister to come help me in the kitchen. No, because she's found what's best. Jesus, would you? No, I, I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not going to say yes to everything because it's when I say no to the good things that it allows me to say yes to the very best things. We say yes to everything, and we, we give everybody so much of ourselves and, and all of these things so much of, of our time that we need to learn to say no. Jesus said no. You have to be okay saying no. There will always be more things that you can do than time that you have to give to them. Yeah. I heard it said this way, your opportunities available will always be greater than your time available. 
Say that again, because some of you needed to hear that. Your opportunities available will always be greater than your time available. You have to decide what's the most important. You have to be in charge of your schedule because if you don't decide how you're going to use your time, somebody else will. If you don't decide how to use your time, somebody else will. Refreshing doesn't have to be last resort. Refreshing doesn't have to be just when I'm completely empty. How many of you guys ever ran out of gas in your car? Come on, raise them high. Don't be ashamed. Some of you are like, okay. Those of you that have, leave, leave them up, leave them up high. Proud. Wear that as a badge proudly. Yes, thank you. I have ran out of gas in my car. Thank you. Of those of you with your hands raised, keep them up. How many of you have ran out of gas more than once? How many more than twice? Three times? A l- no, I'm just kidding. Here's my question. You, you run out of gas once. Shame on, shame on me. Like George W. Bush. Fool me once. Shame on. Fool me. Can't get fooled again. Like, you do it once. That's a problem. You do it twice. That's a real problem. You do it more than twice, and it's like, how do you not learn your lesson at that point? Like, there's the gauge. It goes down. When it gets below the E, that's emergency time. And when you continue to drive on emergency time, you will find yourself on the side of the road. I've done it myself. Listen, I'm, I'm one of those multiple times offenders. Like, that's, that's me. But here's my question. We, we do it in our car. We understand that we, we get empty and we find ourselves just broken down. Why do we allow that to happen in our lives as well? We find ourselves on the side of the road in life just empty and dry and worn out and broken and just like, God, I don't know how I got to this place. It's because you didn't understand and you didn't live in a rhythm of refreshing. You tried to live life outside in rather than inside out. There was no work-rest balance. You said yes to everything. That's not God's intent. That's not God's design. That's not what God wants for you. He wants you to, to be operating out of this place of refreshment, that daily I would come to the well. That's what David, David constantly, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. And, and God, I just want to find myself in your presence. David was daily longing for, do you have that longing in you? Because it's as we live that lifestyle of constantly coming to him, he brings the refreshing. God, it's not about what's going on out here, but, but God, what are you doing in here that then is going to affect what's going on out here? God, help us to live life inside out. God, help us to, to balance work and rest and, and to get back to taking serious, honoring the Sabbath, keeping it holy, setting it apart for you that we would rest from so that we can rest in. God, help us to learn the things that we need to say no to. Stand with me this morning. As you stand, Jace, would you bring me my communion sitting right there next to your mom? Thank you, son. When you came in this morning, you should have received your communion elements. Those of you watching at home, if you want to run to the fridge and grab something and come back, you have some time to do that. 
If you came in and you didn't receive your communion, would you do me a favor? Just raise your hand. Our ushers would be more than happy to serve you at this time. We've got a few down here in the middle, a couple over here on the left. This morning as we prepare to partake of communion, in John chapter 6, we're given the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's recorded in John's gospel. Jesus feeds them, and we, we read a little bit of it earlier, but right after Jesus fed them, he told the disciples to go to the other side, and as they went to the other side, he dismissed the crowds. He prayed. That night, he comes walking to them on the water. They, they get to the other side of the lake, and the Bible continues the story, and if you've never if you've never read it, would encourage you, just take some time today and go, go read that story in John 6. But it says that, that Jesus and his disciples arrived on the other side of the lake, and the next morning, the crowd that had just, just partook of this miracle, who had been fed by, by Jesus's miracle, they started looking around for where Jesus was. They saw the disciples take the only boat, but they never came back, and Jesus is nowhere to be found. So the Bible says that they went to the other side of the lake looking for Jesus. And they get to the other side of the lake and they see Jesus and his disciples. And it's funny because they're like, Jesus, what are you doing here? Like, you knew, you knew he was going to be there. You went looking for him. And Jesus, knowing their heart, says, you know, you don't really want me. You're just looking for another free meal. Is essentially what he tells them. I fed you last night. You came over here looking for another meal. He says, but the food that I give, he says, don't worry about earthly food because the food that I give you is, is, is greater than that. They said, well, how do we get this food? He says, we have to believe in the one that the father sent. They're like, well, we want to believe in you, but you have to show us a sign, which is ironic because he just fed 20,000 of you with the value meal from Long John Silver's the day before. <laughs> we want to believe in you, but you must give us a sign. And they said, after all, Moses gave our ancestors bread in the, in the wilderness. And he's like, no, he didn't. He said, Moses didn't do that. My father did that. He, he continues and he, he paints for them this picture. He tells them, anyone who, who eats the bread that I give will never be hungry again. It's similar to the conversation he has with the woman at the well. Anyone who drinks the water that I give will never thirst again. Here in, in John 6, he's, he's talking to the crowd and he says, anyone who, who eats the bread of life, the bread that I give will never be hungry again. Anyone who drinks what I give him will never, never thirst again. They said, well, how do, we, how do we do that? And he says, you have to eat my flesh and you have to drink of my blood. Now this, as you would imagine, immediately turned a lot of them off because they're like, this dude's a nut job. Like, how can we eat his flesh? And how can, who's going to be the first one to drink his blood? Like, that's disgusting. Is that even sanitary COVID? And Jesus hadn't introduced the sacraments yet. So he wasn't, he wasn't trying to connect it to communion for them because that hadn't been introduced at this point in time. But what Jesus was alluding to and communicating was the fact that, listen, one day, my body will be given as a sacrifice for you. And one day my blood will be spilled for the remission of your sins. I think he was foreshadowing communion that was going to come. And today as we, as we take communion, as we, we hold the bread, which is symbolic of Jesus's 
body. And as we hold the cup, which is symbolic of Jesus' blood, is, as Jesus said, if, if you would partake of what I have to give you, if you would drink it, the, if you would eat, if you would, would understand what is here and is available to you, you'll never thirst again. You'll never be hungry again. What's he saying? You'll be refreshed. You'll find your being. You'll be renewed. What you're looking for is found in my body and in my blood, which one day will be broken and shed for you. Today, as we, as we wrap up this series on being refreshed, I think it's only appropriate that we also partake and observe communion. Because the very reason that we can be refreshed is because Jesus' body was broken. The reason that, that we, can, we can find this season of refreshing is because his blood was poured out and spilled for us. Without it, we would be lost and dead in our sins. But because of the price that he paid, we can, we can be made new. We can run to him. We can draw near to him. We can wait upon him. We can rest in him. We can be refreshed in him. So this morning as we partake of communion, God, we thank you for your body. Jesus, we thank you for your body, which was broken for us. Lord, even as you told the crowd that gathered that day that if we would, if we would eat from the bread of life, that we would never hunger again. Jesus, you told the woman at the well that the water that you give would cause us to never thirst again. And God, today as we, we reflect and we, we remember the price that was paid, we reflect on your broken body and your blood which was shed. We thank you that, that through that, new life is available to us. We thank you for the price that was paid and the sacrifice that you made, that you gave up your life so that new life would be made available to us. We thank you that there is refreshing to be found in you. And as we remain in communion, today we take communion, but God, as we go from this place and we remain in communion with you, in relationship with you, God, I thank you that in communion with you that we can be refreshed. Let's take of the bread. And the cup today. Lord, again, we thank you. Pray for, for every one of us that are here today, those of us that are watching online, that as we, as we go from this place, as we go from wherever we are right now, God, I pray that you would help us to, to establish a new rhythm in our lives, that it wouldn't be like that emergency gas can that we carry in the back of our cars because we haven't learned our lesson before, but God, that we would daily find refreshing in you, that we would, we would establish a rhythm of refreshing. God, as we position ourselves for refreshing, as we come to the place of refreshing, and God, as we establish a rhythm to be constantly refreshed moving forward, I thank you that it's found in you, through you, and by you. God, we seek you. We look for it today in you, and we thank you that you give it freely in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Love you guys. Be blessed. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. 
At Dream City Omaha, we're all about helping each other do three things. Discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. Please check out our past sermon series or online discipleship classes. And don't forget to hit subscribe and the bell for notifications on all of our latest videos.